0: Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, deep inside the secret B-Cave. It's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham.
1: Yes, B-Cave. Us. He's Blank on Branham. Yiner Diaz hit another home run yesterday. We mentioned earlier how far it went. It was a moonshot there in South Oklahoma. He's got 21 home runs on the season and 318 at-bats. 21 home, ran- home runs in 92 games. Now, I've, sometimes, like I've you hear people say that, and honestly, I think it's a little misleading. Because he's come on as a pinch hitter in a lot of these games. Like, yep. he has started 60 games on the year. I don't know if that's right. Let Listen, me double check. That sounds light. Uh, but he, if he's played in 92, how many well, Early starts? in the season, remember
2: how everybody was on Dana Brown and everybody else about the promises with the at-bats? And is he actually going to get close?
1: Yiner... I don't know why this doesn't show this, how many starts he has. But Yonder Diaz has played in 92 games, and he has 21 home runs on the year. And I think it's a little misleading because a lot of games he comes on as a pinch hitter. The the amount of times that he has started is not 92. I would guess it's probably closer to 75-80. So he's got 21 home runs and 75 to 80 games on the season, which shows you how good that Yiner Diaz has been. And the the more that Yiner Diaz produces offensively, I think the more and more we're going to have this conversation. Uh, Knowing that Yiner Homer, looking at this last night, I, I pulled up last year's numbers just around the league, and I was looking around the top five range for first baseman, how many plate appearances they get a year. I looked at the top five range of how many plate appearances catchers get a year because there's always the discrepancy there because first basemen can play more often than catchers can because catchers have the wear and tear of the position. And even if you can DH them sometimes, it's, it's difficult to give them as many plate appearances as first basemen because they need rest. They need a lot more rest than, than a first baseman would. And also, there's also the like the rigors of game planning. There's the rigors of trying to, like, let's figure out a game plan for – Seeger, let's figure out a game plan for Simeon. Adolus Garcia physical, today. Because the, the yes. I
2: mean, the taxing of the knees on crouching on every pitch is one thing. But when you look at the, in today's baseball, how many catchers take shots almost every game off of foul tips and, and, you know, blocking pitches. At a certain point, it's like playing football. I mean, your body is just getting beat up. Yeah, it's it's a rigorous position. It's tough. Like they
1: they call it the tools of ignorance for a reason. It's not a fun position to play. Um, so you you have to have the conversation I think with Yiner Diaz. And this isn't a conversation for this year. It might not even be a conversation until Jose Abreu's gone, quite frankly. But if you could get, let's just say top five ish plate appearances for first basemans, around 650 plate appearances a year. For a catcher, it's around 500 plate appearances a year, top five ish, the leaders at that position. If you use Yiner D as his home run rate, that's about 40 home runs as a first baseman and 650 plate appearances. It's about 30 home runs as a catcher with 500 plate appearances. As the catcher, it's incredibly valuable because we know that there's not a lot of good hitting catchers. Sean Murphy, Adley Rushman, Rushman, there's a few. They're few and far between. It's much easier to find good offensive first basemen than good offensive catchers. So the value of having that kind of bat at catcher is incredibly high. But what you're sacrificing in value is the volume of 650 plate appearances because it's going to average out to about 10 more home runs a year with Yonor Diaz's home run rate. So look, and it's not even a this year conversation, probably not even in the next year conversation. This is a post-Jose Abreu Abreu, Houston Astro team. Do you go 500 plate appearances for Yiner as a catcher, 650 plate appearances Yiner Diaz as
2: a first baseman? Well, to me... I need him as many plate appearances as I can possibly get for him. You look at what the Orioles situation is, and you mentioned Atley Rushman, and Atlee Rushman is is early in, his, in, his, in the fetal stages of his career. They're already looking for ways to preserve his niece. They're already looking for positions he can play and ways that they can make sure that he is the kind of player that gets those at-bats and, and gets that kind of, so they can get that production. And when you look at Rushman's uh, numbers a year ago, and now you look at what Yiner's done in a smaller sample size, but with the same kind of results or better it really behooves the Astros to figure out a way that you can get as many at-bats for this guy as possible and also create the most longevity for his career that you can. So you believe Verlander is going to be on the team next year, Fromber's going to be on the team next year. What it really comes down to is if Yiner is ready to be the starting catcher, is he going to take the, the, the starts away from your backup if it's Maldi or if it's somebody else, or is Verlander and Frommer still going to be insistent on that veteran, that guy that they trust, that guy that they build a relationship with, because that's going to factor in as much as anything in terms of what you can do and what you have to do for a guy that I just believe has to get those six hundred plus at bats. He he's that important to your offense and extending this run of Astros baseball.
1: And again, this is probably a conversation for twenty twenty six because Abreu still under contract twenty four, still under contract in twenty five. We're talking
2: longevity. There were, there were people of wants to Diaz. dump out as quick. It's going to be very hard to dump out from Abreu. But I still don't think the Astros are willing to d- dump out from Abreu after this season. After this season, no. I think that the earliest they
1: would do it is June 1st next, next year. year. I think that's the earliest that they would do it. So post-Jose Abreu life. But but even if you do that, you're going into next year, Yiner Diaz, your primary catcher. Because you're not going to go into the year with Abreu at first. And like Yiner, we have the idea that by July, you're going to be our everyday first baseman. So this is post-Abreu life for Yiner Diaz. I threw this out to, to Joe yesterday. I think it's going to come down to if they lock up Yiner Diaz early. We know that Atlanta likes to do that with young players. Dana, yeah. they, they Atlanta love to do that with young players. Dana Brown was an assistant general manager under Alex Anthropoulos at Atlanta. If he brings that over with him, I think that Yiner Diaz is somebody that Dana Brown might try to lock up as soon as this offseason, quite frankly. Would you
2: blame him? I mean, nope. look, as much as I was against the fact that Pena, for what he did a year ago... I just wasn't ready to do that with him yet. I just looked at him differently than I look at Yiner. Because when you look at Yiner, yeah, Pena got hot at the right time. But you look at his regular season, and, and starting this season, I said, don't expect playoff and World Series Jeremy Pena. But this is probably more clo- – regular season last year is more closer to what he's going to be. Yiner, you don't know how good he can be, but the numbers he's already shown you show you that wherever you put him in the lineup, he rakes. He hits for power. He hits – both righties and lefties, as much as they wanted to platoon him that way too, as much as Dusty stands on this high hill of he's going to thank me someday for the way I've used him. No one else is, and I believe that over time no one else will look back on this time and say, you were great for doing what you did. And so the combination of pop the combination of, of the, the fact that I believe his strike zone is going to get better, his eye at the plate is going to improve, his, his, his chasing of bad pitches is going to get better. I think it has. I think I think we've seen some of it, too. That All the signs are there for me, for a guy that can play multiple positions for you as well, and he's going to get better at first base. And I was thinking this offseason, I don't care if he swings a bat, but just get him as many chances to field ground balls and dig balls out of the dirt at first He's going to be a guy that should be in the heart of the middle of this lineup for if this, if this golden era is going to continue. And I think they should look to wrap him up early.
1: I, I would. four two zero two 2 0 2 Mike and Dear Park, Geiner started 76 games. That's the number I was looking for. For some reason, they only have games played, not games started. So, Geiner has 21 home runs and 76 games played. It's pretty astonishing pretty for Geiner Diaz. It's incredible the numbers that he's put up in limited duty and spotty duty, too, sporadically. Uh, hasn't been a regular starter at any single position, other than DH when Jordan was hurt. So, I, I think that, that Dana Brown is going to look at trying to sign Geiner Diaz early. If not this offseason, next offseason. Try to buy out the arbitration years. If Geiner Diaz as a bump and then buy out some years of free agency. I believe that if they do that with Yiner Diaz, that Yiner Diaz is the next first baseman of this club after Jose Abreu's gone because they're going to want the volume of 650 plate appearances versus the 500 plate appearances for Yiner Diaz.
2: It also depends on what you have in your farm system, too, or where you can get another catch. Well, they traded Corey Lee. Now, right, that's what I'm saying. With Corey Lee gone and Cesar Salazar is not going to be the answer for you. no. You gotta have a you have a viable option at catcher two that's gonna help a lot.
1: It would have to be a free agent, probably a veteran. Now, veteran free agents aren't that difficult to find. If your philosophy is let's get a game caller, let's get a defensive first catcher, let's sacrifice like the offense for the defense at that position because it's so important. Those guys are you know they're. A lot of clubs value that, but it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. It's right. not going to cost you $19.5 million a year like Jose Abreu cost you, quite frankly. So I'm of the belief that if they lock up Yiner Diaz to a long term deal, I believe that Yiner Diaz will eventually be transitioned to first base. Total guess. I believe that if they don't lock Yiner Diaz up to a long-term deal, maybe they get the, the feel that Yiner Diaz is not open for business to signing a contract extension uh, to buy out his arbitration years and his free agent years. They get the feel, they get the read that Yiner Diaz is going to play his six years with the Astros and he's going to go into free agency. If that's the read you get on Yiner Diaz, I leave him as the catcher. If I have the feeling that Yiner Diaz is only going to play the club control, the so you six wear years. wear him out while yes. you got him.
2: Yep. So exactly. You wear them
1: out while you got them, because and say, let someone else deal mm-hmm. with
2: the wear and tear.
1: Because the volume, the, the value is for him to catch. That's the when it, value that's when it's is a harsh for reality. Him. It's a business. Exactly, but it's what I'm doing. Like I don't care about Yiner Diaz, quite frankly. I care about the Astros' success more than I care about Yiner Diaz's success. So if I get the feel, if I'm Dana Brown, that Yiner is not open for business to a long-term deal, he's my he's my. Catcher, he's the catcher for next for this. Well, he's not the catcher for Maldonado over Maldonado, but he's the catcher for the next five years. But, if I give Yiner Diaz, let's say an eight-year contract, an eight-year extension this off he is my next first baseman. The moment Jose Abreu leaves the organization,
2: here's here's where I would treat it to you. Don't have to make this decision immediately, and this is why. The same way, whether I was on the on the other side of it with Pena, I still wanted to see what he did for another year. I still want to see what Yiner would do as the starting catcher. I want to see if he can capitalize and get better and build like Jordan did from what he did from the minute he got to the big leagues. If Yiner comes into a starting role and is capable of carrying this torch on and improving and getting even better than what he's already done, now the big thing is I want to see what he's the numbers. I want to talk to him. I want to talk to his agent. Now, if he's willing, if he does those things next year as a starter, as early as middle of the season, if he's still cooking and he's doing all these different things, I, I'm already trying to figure out, and if he's willing to take a, a Jordan-type deal, mm-hmm. that's an even bigger win for you, but that's where I start the conversations. That's when I start looking at everything, and that's where I start having to make some hard business decisions on a guy that looks like he could be right in line with what Jordan did from the time he came up. The I hear that. I understand that. You want to make sure you don't have a
1: flash in the pan, a, a yep. one-hit wonder, but the downside of that is it becomes far more expensive. Every single day that passes by that he's having success, it becomes more expensive, more expensive, more expensive. Quite frankly, I, I've seen enough from Yiner that I I, I trust giving him an eight-year deal. I, I would give Jeremy Pena an extension, even though Jeremy Pena hasn't had like, I think Pena's been the same offensively this year versus last year, quite frankly. But even though he hasn't taken that step up from a year ago, I would still be in the business of locking up Jeremy Pena. I, I believe that both of those guys are above average at their position at minimum. I think is above average as a shortstop in Major League Baseball. I think Yiner Diaz could be an all-star as a catcher, quite frankly. So yeah, I I would sign both of them
2: to an extension as soon as this offseason. I think it works for Pena because he's not having a great year that you might be able to get a better deal. I, I think from Yiner's perspective, because we haven't seen him be a full-time starter yet, that I don't think it there that there's going to be... I understand what you're saying. Next year, if we're at the mid, mid-season next year and as a starter he's doing as much and more as what he did as a part-time starter this year now you're now the agent's going to be like mm, probably not going to give you a bargain
1: but at I mean, the same time, he's like Kyle time. Tucker. Like, Kyle Tucker is yeah, more expensive exactly. now but than he was between his first and his second year. Anybody thought
2: Jordan was going to give them the deal that he gave them. No.
1: Like, that was some injury proneness probably associated with that deal. Uh, but yeah, that was a sweetheart deal that Jordan gave you, no know, you, you. I mean, James Click took
2: advantage of Jordan.
1: Those are the best two moves that James Click's ever made yeah. the signing of Jordan Alvarez and trading Miles Straw for Phil Maton and Yander Diaz. Yep. Like, what a, what a brilliant trade that that was. 713 780 3776. Let's go out to the HRMP listener line, Paul. You're in the hive with the Killer Bees. What's up, Paul?
3: Hey, what you guys haven't talked about is that Yiner is actually a very good defensive catcher. Yep. So not only if you take him away from behind the plate, then you've got to find a good defensive catcher too. So Yiner's defense is underrated, certainly underrated by his manager, but his metrics are a lot better than maldonado's yep. and he's a good defensive catcher. So the other thing that hasn't been discussed here, or you've sort of glossed over it is they're like, oh, we'll wear him out if we leave him at catcher. But that's not true. Um, there's plenty of catchers. I mean, the best catcher right now in the American League, well, other than Rutschman, is probably Salvador Perez. And he's, what, 35, 36, still catching a ton of games. The Molina's lasted a long time. There's, it's actually been studied by baseball prospectus that catcher is one of the longest-lasting positions in the major leagues because it's so hard to find a good one. Those guys tend to stick around. If you want to get him an extra hundred at bats away from being catcher, then he can DH throughout the season. So uh, leaving him at catcher is, I mean, it's it's to me, it's a clear cut option. The 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 better poll question is who would you like to get rid of more, Maldonado or Dusty Baker? Because that would be an interesting
1: one. Appreciate the call, Paul. Let's let's hit that on the other side. Paul brings yep. up some good points. Now there is some. It's not as easy to just DH him, and I'll tell you why next. Now, the
2: the defense for for Yiner Diaz is underrated. He's absolutely right. He's got a cannon, and Maldi has has regressed. He's, he's, He's not even close to what he used to be defensively. For as much as we give him credit for the scouting and the advanced stuff that he does, if it doesn't actually parlay to what he does on the field and the pass balls are way up, his throwing isn't as good, everything that goes with it, there's no disputing Yiner is a good defensive catcher that can get better, but his cannon makes him very effective behind the plate. It's can he do the things to win over the veterans that are in the top of the rotation. 713-780-3776. Killer B's on ESPN
1: 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Look, this is the season. We, we know that this is the season where you like to throw down a few bucks on some games. Uh, football season is here. And I got to tell you about my favorite sportsbook and casino. And that's BetUS.com. Com. Football's back means it's time to lay down your bets. I only endorse one sportsbook and casino, and that's BetUS.com. Why them? Well, BetUS is celebrating their 30th year of sports betting service with a special offer this football season. You can get up to 30 risk-free bets. That's right, up to 30 risk-free bets bets. It's called Bet Protect. If that isn't enough, BetUS offers the industry's biggest 125% sign-up bonus. You heard me. The industry's biggest 125% sign-up bonus, and there's even more. BetUS.com offers a massive 200% crypto sign-up bonus and a 250% casino bonus. The game always gets more exciting with a bet, but you can take it to another level at BetUS.com. Live in-game betting. Do not wait. Take advantage of their 30th year offer up to 30 risk-free bets. Get Protect. Get started today by visiting betus.com or give them a call at 1 800 MyBetUS. That's 1 800 692 3887 to learn all about their bonuses and special offers. That's 1 800 MyBetUS, betus.com, where the game begins.
0: time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Brenham. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. Paul brings up the
1: point about losing the defense of Yiner. Because Yiner does have good defense. His framing's not outstanding, but it's gotten better. Much better, I think. Uh, he's got a cannon for an arm. He's one of the best at blocking pitches, too. Like, if you're a believer in the baseball savant stuff, his defense is really, really good. Uh, one of the weaknesses of his defense is framing. I think his framing has gotten better. I think it's improving. in baseball savant would tell you that same thing. I concede the fact that it's more valuable for him to catch. Now, Paul brings up some other ways to give Yiner Diaz some, uh, some plate appearances. Like, he brought up Salvador Perez. He brought up Yadier um, Molina with St. Louis. Those guys do play forever. Look, Martin Maldonado's currently still playing. He's really, really old. The problem that you have giving 100 plate appearances to Yiner Diaz as the DH with the Astros is the way that this team is built right now. I, for one, don't want Jordan Alvarez to play the field. So if Jordan Alvarez is not playing the field and Jordan Alvarez is starting 140, 150 games as your designated hitter, you can't give Yiner Diaz 100 plate appearances as the DH. Now, you could say, well, make him your primary catcher and then one or two times through the rotation to save his legs, give him more plate appearances, whatever, play him at first base. Now, if you do that, that means you have a part-time first baseman as well, and I don't believe in the way of building a team where you have a part-time first baseman that's sharing time with the primary catcher. I think that it's in the best long-term interest post-Jose Abreu, your Andre-designated hitter. You're trading the Yiner-Diaz defense, which I agree with you, Paul, is very, very good. That way I can guarantee him 650 plate appearances a year as opposed to 500.
2: Here's also the way you look at this. You look at this the same way the NBA started to implement more load management. Paul makes good points on Diaz, uh, I mean, uh, on Yadier Molina and, and on and Salvi. But here's the thing. You have to ask the question, which is almost impossible to answer, but how much better would those guys have been offensively as really good offensive catchers and having good years from time to time? Could you have had more longevity in terms of the production you got offensively from those guys if they weren't putting all those miles and extra miles on their legs? So you ask yourself the question you of the examples you gave, would Salvador Perez have been even more dominant offensively or better offensively if he didn't have all that tax, all the taxing that he took on the lower body and the body him, it, itself I mean, from this, Yadier Molina was just, I mean, he was unbelievable defensively. He had good years offensively. But do you feel like his offense suffered over time because of all the wear and tear of always being behind the dish? And so as a more forward-thinking, more modernized, analytical, and otherwise general manager, I think the click would have done this. I think Dana Brown will look into this because you have to weigh out for as good as he could be defensively. If I continue to ride that train and have him behind the dish all that time, am I taking away for how good he can, how much potential he could reach offensively?
1: Yeah. See, I, I, I pulled up Sal Perez's just his baseball reference. He's, he's only had two years Where he's had more than 550 plate appearances. So, right out of the gate, he's giving away plate appearances by being a catcher because catchers need more days off. Um, He did it, one of them was he was 24 years old. So, he was still very young. He was still very spry. He played 140 games that year, hit 606 plate appearances. I don't know how many of those games he DH'd. Now, his big year offensively was 2021. He led the league in home runs in 2021. He had 48 home runs. He was outstanding he caught 121 times that year, and he DH'd 40 times. So, like, are there 40 starts available
2: with a Jordan Alvarez-Houston Astro team at DH? I personally don't think so. No, no. I think that the more we saw, and we saw him on ice skates the other night, to where everybody held their collective breath the minute that that play happened, and then you started, in the back of your mind, started thinking about and contemplating, I mean, oh my God, as much as he can play left field, can you afford to have him out there if that increases the risk that anything could happen to take him out of your lineup offensively? And that's why he is destined to be a designated hitter. I know he likes playing left field. Yeah. I know that you know, you'll know look at the numbers and say so he hits better when he's in left field. I know that all those things, and you know what I know? This team is toast if he's not in the lineup. And so I'm going to do everything. The reason why we started the Jordan rules is because I'm going to do everything in my power to guarantee that that dude's offensively in my lineup every single freaking day. And I'm going to take away any possibilities or minimize the, the risk that goes with losing him for any of
1: those days. Like if, if, if I was managing the club, Yordan Alvarez would not play outfield. He would be my permanent DH. I hope I have him 150 games. And if he's, if he's DHing for me 150 times, if I had my way, that does not leave 40 starts for Gianni
2: Diaz as a designated hitter. Um, Plus, you got him locked up long term because the biggest problem with your theory right there that I don't disagree with, I would have him DHing too, unless it pissed him off. You were on? Yeah. Yeah. See, I just I don't care about the I know you don't. And I, 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 I care do. more about that because, uh, you know what? A happy superstar is a productive superstar. And if he's pissed off, sure, he could come back and want to prove more offensively. But I think if he's pissed off, he's probably not going to be at his best for you. It depends on the player.
1: Like it does. People thought that Kyle Tucker was ticked off by the whole like silly arbitration thing and Kyle Tucker's been unbelievable. Uh 3338 does Diaz have experience at first base? Diaz played quite a bit in the minors at first. He kind of split time catcher first base. He's played a little bit there this year. I don't think Yiner Diaz right now is a good defensive first baseman. He's a much better defensive catcher right now than he is as a defensive first baseman. But if you're a good defensive catcher with the athleticism and kind of speed that Yiner Diaz has, you can become a good defensive first baseman. Yiner Diaz who's one of the best at blocking balls in the dirt, who is pretty fast for a catcher, you give him an off-season and a spring training learning first base, he would become an above-average yeah, defensive I, first I base. Think I
2: think, and especially, he's, you know, first of all, you never question his throwing arm. But the fact that he has the glove work that's necessary to block pitches and do the things you need to do behind the plate, that translates well to being able to scoop baseballs and catch baseballs at first base. It's more the situations and how you handle situations and how you think through plays and you know where to go with the baseball and then how you scoop. I mean, that's the biggest thing. The target, the way you play the base with your feet, and the fact that you're not giving away runs, but you're helping to take away runs by doing things, is knowing you're doing it right. It surprises me a little bit that with the amount he played in the minors, that some of the stuff wouldn't be a little bit more polished now, but obviously it's a different level when you get to the majors.
1: Yeah, I think a spring training and off season, I think he'd be a really good defensive first baseman. Uh, Chandler Rome tweeting about Michael Brantley, who's not in the lineup today. And, you know, your mind wanders a little bit when well, Michael Brantley's not in the lineup after Dusty said he was going to be in the lineup uh, against a righty Uh Chandler says that uh, Michael Brantley's fine. Dusty Baker said he changed his mind about playing him because Jordan Alvarez is still limping from his crash into the wall on Sunday, which means he needs to DH. Baker also cited Brantley's success against Max Scherzer and decided to use him
2: tomorrow. So, as long as we see him in the lineup tomorrow yeah, against Max Scherzer, I'm fine. He's I mean, questionable to not play him today, but. I don't this like is... it because I don't trust anything that comes out of the Astros in terms of intel on, on the updates on players. Yeah, I don't know if they ever hide. Like,
1: certainly they're vague, and they're like last year, Brantley was day to day, and then all of a sudden he's having season ending shoulder surgery. But usually it's not like, okay, we're saying a player's healthy, but he's actually hurt type of thing. It's usually not that bad. Um, so this is probably good news. Now I question why Brantley's not playing in left more. field. Well, but, Dusty um,
4: Dusty's been on the record. I guess it was right when Globe Life opened about the turf. About the turf. But he that, didn't say that, but that, but he said it in the past, like he but has you know, said it in the past, that, like Michael too. Brantley, he wouldn't play him in left field on that turf.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's good news. It's yeah. good news. He's not sick. Well, it's not a shoulder injury. I don't so.
4: understand how a team that like is so you have discomfort, you don't play for weeks and Jordan Alvarez is still limping. I know it's a big series, so I appreciate that he's playing. It just shocks me.
1: Yeah, well, there's 23 to play, and you're in a race. I know. You're in a race. If they, if you had 23 to play and you were leading this division by six, you, you probably don't see him in the lineup. Yeah, that's true. Brantley's probably dh today. today. I mean, maybe not yesterday because you had a lefty. Um, Dre wants to, wants to know, do you think that Dana Brown will allow Machete to walk, or do you think they bring him back?
2: As a bench coach? I think he means as a player. Oh, um, (laughs) if he's willing to be the backup catcher. But I think that if Verlander's persistent and insistent that he's his catcher, I think if you tell him and there's an agreement in place that he's only going to catch Fromber and and JV, I think there's a chance he can come back. But I also think that that it has to be a fluid situation where if Yiner can build build up even more behind the plate, a, a confidence and a trust with JV and Fromber, that I think it just depends on what price. Because there is a value to a backup catcher, and there's a value to the, the intangibles we sometimes kid about, but what you also hear about what he actually does and the work he puts into prep. And that's part of being big brother to Yiner as well. But if he's willing to do all those things, there's a spot for him on this roster, I believe. Yeah, if you
1: can totally get everything on the same page where he's catching at most once every fifth day, I don't hate once? Maldonado back. That's at most, yeah.
2: yeah. That's, that's, uh, but, that's 20% so, so of the who games. gives, Romber or JV? That's why he can't be here.
1: Probably, uh, probably Fromber, probably Fromber. I yeah, think Fromber I needs can... him more than JV does. I mean, JV's had a great career without Martin. Yeah, Malinato. and JV's
2: pitched with other guys.
1: Yeah, I would, I would Throughout say that. Career, I would say Fromber, but he brings up the. I, I think the Dusty might not have to be here. Like it's one of the two. Like if you bring him back, Maldi, but it can't be Dusty
2: managing it because he probably he will, will force, feed yeah. M- Maldi into that starting lineup. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think
4: we're really. It's if the Astros won the World Series, Dusty and Maldi are back. If they don't, they're both gone.
2: Yeah, it'll
1: be, it'll be fun to see how it oh. plays out.
2: Pessimistic Chad, can't say every if good Dusty's hitting catcher. Gone, hang on a second. But if Dusty's gone, right, it depends on what happens with Espada, because if Espada takes the, it gets the manager job or he goes elsewhere, then Maldi could be your bench coach, or he could be a, a coach. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna to want to retire though.
1: I think he still I think he still thinks he's gonna play. Okay. Pessimistic Chad can't say every good hitting catcher should play a different position and then kill Maldonado and others for playing the position who are bad hitters. You're literally saying to sacrifice one for the other. Here's the thing. I have no problem with Martin Maldonado being the starting catcher, quite frankly if Yiner Diaz was not on this team. I had no problem Martin Maldonado being the starting catcher last year when Christian Vasquez couldn't hit. The problem is that Yiner Diaz has forced himself into the lineup because he has outperformed Martin Maldonado. If you had Martin Maldonado's little brother as the backup catcher, I wouldn't be killing Martin Maldonado. The reason that we kill Martin Maldonado is because Dusty's committed to Martin Maldonado when there's a better option. If there wasn't a better option, we wouldn't be killing Martin Maldonado.
2: On the other side of that, too, when you're looking at the the equation of of, of catchers that can hit they're very few and far between so most times if you're just a really good defensive catcher with a cannon and you're really good at at managing behind the plate then you'll you'll settle for whatever you get offensively but the rare and few and far between moments when you find a catcher that can actually do the things that Yiner's shown that he can do there's a desire to make sure that you have the most longevity you can for him you get the most out of him and you find the best way to utilize both sides of his his abilities offensively and defensively and if you know he's taking too much wear and tear and that catchers do, then you're trying to preserve it. It doesn't mean he doesn't catch, but it doesn't mean he catches every game.
1: 713-780-3776. We're entering week one of the NFL season. Texans, Ravens on Sunday. Did the Texans do enough to help slash protect C.J. Stroud? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN seven five, ESPN 92.5.
0: Razor-blunt commentary delivered with a special purpose. What's happening to my special purpose? It's the Killer Bees, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5.
1: Have the Texans done enough for C.J. Stroud? Texans-Ravens Sunday, spread still at 10. I haven't looked since the, uh, the weekend. I think the spread's still at 10. Have they done enough for C.J. Stroud in terms of weapons, in terms of the, the guys that are protecting the Texans quarterback?
2: Um, they've done enough. Could they have done more? Yes. Did Nick Casario's press conference last week add a lot of questions to the equation? Absolutely. If you knew that Kenyon Green was going through whatever he was going through, both off the field, but specifically on the field, and you made the comment, it wasn't an if, it was a when, it was going to give out, and you knew in May, that added another wrinkle but you got Shaq to go with Howard to go with Tunsil. Now could you could you the two question marks are everything that i just said about Green and then looking at what you did or didn't do at the center position and how a veteran no matter how much you maybe have thought short-term Quisenberry could be a guy that gets you through i think they should have been a little bit more aggressive in free agency looking for and or trades to get a better or more veteran experienced center. So have they done enough? Yes. Could they have done more? I believe, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've been very critical of this offensive
1: line in front of C.J. Stroud for week one. Now, a lot of it has been, you know, you, you haven't been very lucky whenever it comes to it because you've had some major injuries on that offensive line that you really couldn't account for, right? Scott Quesenberry out for the year. Uh, Kenyon Green out for the year. Titus Howard has a broken hand and is probably going to miss a, a game, maybe two. Drew Scruggs, who you drafted in the second round, is on the pup. He's going to miss the first 4 weeks at minimum of the 2023 season. So you've had four significant injuries to that offensive line. So very critical of what the Texans are going to throw out there in week 1, but at the same time they've had four injuries on that offensive line. Now, I agree that they should been they should have been bigger players in the interior offensive line market in free agency whether it was upgrading from Scott Quessenberry and a guy that could maybe start in a pinch at left guard. They would say, well, Michael Dieter was that guy. No, Michael Dieter does not qualify as that guy. Scott Quessenberry, who was lousy last year, does not qualify as that guy. So I I do think that they erred with... Their lack of aggression, attacking interior offensive line with like a true dude that could start some games in the middle for you. Instead, you were relying on a rookie la- or second year player in Kenyon Green, who was lousy as a rookie, and you were relying on Juice Scruggs as a second year, as a first year guy that you drafted in the second round to play significant snaps for you at some point. So, I think that that was a mistake. And then they also got very desperate after the injuries and traded for a couple of offensive linemen, Josh Jones, who many people are expecting to start at left guard. Go Cougs. Uh, they traded base basically a fifth-round draft pick for him. They they got back a seventh, but they they traded a fifth for Josh Jones and a seventh-rounder. They traded a sixth-rounder for Kendrick Green, who not many people think very highly of, and I also think it was a big mistake trading a sixth-rounder for a uh, Kendrick Green because, you know, they cut Desmond King, you know who picked up Desmond King, Pittsburgh Steelers. I bet you you could have gotten Kendrick Green for Desmond King. I think it was a mistake there. Uh, You you could have saved your six round pick if you did a little bit of due diligence. In my opinion, if the Steelers were going to pick up Desmond King after you cut him as a free agent, and they were willing to trade you Kendrick Green, you could have gotten Kendrick Green uh, for Desmond King. I think that was a a very again minor mistake. Six round draft pick. Who really cares? They
2: were interested in Desmond King.
1: Why aren't you calling teams to say hey, we're going to cut this guy? What's your interest? And instead of and if they're like, oh, yeah, we have a little bit of interest in Desmond King, instead of being like, we'll give you a six for Kendrick Green, you say, we'll give you Desmond King for a six. You should be calling every team about every player you're about the cut to see if they have any value whatsoever. If you don't do that, you're not doing your job as a general manager.
2: That's that's a big question with Nick. Because,
1: if, yeah, if he didn't make yeah. that phone call to other general managers, that's an issue. Because Desmond King has value in the NFL. It's a surprise cut. The Steelers signed him as a free agent after he was cut. You were talking to Pittsburgh about Kendrick Green. If you didn't bring up Desmond King to them, that that was a mistake by Casario. Now we don't know what happened in those conversations, but I think it's fair to say they could have trade they could have saved a six rounder by using Desmond King to get Kendra Green instead. Now. Six rounder, does it really matter that much? A lot of people would say no. A lot of people would say undrafted free agents are just as good as six rounders. coach would which, say he likes those picks to develop because yeah,
2: he can find something. They're lotto
1: them. tickets, right? Like, yeah. I'd, I'd rather have the six rounder than not have the six rounder, but I also agree that it's kind of like an undrafted free agent. Like, I don't put a whole lot of weight in a six round draft pick, but they got desperate with the offensive line, right? They traded a six for Kendrick Green, they traded a fifth for Josh Jones, and a seventh rounder. Now, the offensive. They also spent money on Titus Howard. They also spent money on Laramie Tunsil. They also traded for Shaq Mason and gave him an extension. So I think that Nick Casario, for the most part, did his best to protect the offensive line. I think his biggest mistake was not attacking interior offensive line a little bit more in free agency. But the injury bug is what really no, cost him.
2: You definitely factor in that the injuries set back what 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 he did to make this line look. As DJ Bienname said that when he joins us that covers the Texans, he thought there was a top that was a top 10 offensive line. If you did enough to make it a top 10 offensive line, you've done enough. But my biggest concern is that if you knew and you have to believe what comes out of his mouth, too, that he's admitting that he knew what was going on with, with Kenyon Green in, in May, and you didn't do enough to address it, or in my opinion, do hardly anything to address it or be prepared for it, that's a problem. And then when you knew that chances were, especially you knew in your war room, and draft room that you were going to lean towards going with a quarterback, then you can't give him a rookie center. You have to give him someone that can help him make reads on the offensive line that can help him through some of the struggles early they on. They would tell you supposed to be Quisenberry. But, Quisenberry, but Quisenberry was but again awful But that's last what I was going to say. But then even if that's your response, that's your rebuttal to that. Then my answer is well, that. But do you think that Quisenberry was a starting center in the NFL or good enough to be a starting center for a potential franchise quarterback? Because the answer, in my opinion, is no.
1: Yeah, he's I, I wasn't. So then you did not. My answer is no, too. Yeah. Um, the interior offensive line was the issue. The Kenyon Green saga, an issue. But you did spend money there. You traded. I, I think it's. I think some people would say didn't do enough there. Uh, some people would say they did do enough there in terms of targets. Look, I think the Nick Casario brought in players. Right, he brought in two wide receiver free agents. They're going to start. Some would argue that maybe one shouldn't, but he brought in Robert Woods, he brought in Noah Brown, two starting receivers to help out CJ Stroud. He signed Dalton Schultz, a huge upgrade at the tight end position. You used a third rounder on Tang Dell, you used a sixth rounder on Xavier Hutchinson. Now a lot of people don't think it's enough firepower in the wide receiver room, but what's Nick to do? He signed two free agents, drafted one in the third, drafted one in the sixth, and inside a tight end. I think I think I think Casera did a, as good a job as he could giving. Giving C.J. Stroud some well, firepower to work with, too, because Singletary is yeah, a better option back.
2: than the fighting Rex Burkheads. And Singletary gives you options out of the backfield. He can spill. He can spell uh, Pierce with cat, uh, carries. He can catch some balls out of the backfield. But he's an experienced NFL running back. I think that Schultz was a great pickup in my mind, even if it hurts that it's only a one-year deal. But at the same time, if you could have gotten a little bit more of the cachet of a Dalton Schultz signing with the same kind of names with the abilities in the receivers, maybe just one of them. To where they were a more recent, productive wide receiver that could have added to the room, maybe that's a different conversation, right? I think he did enough. It was adequate. It could have been better. Yeah. Because if you could have upgraded the Robert Woods signing, or you could have upgraded the Noah Brown to a better maybe. How you know, many free agents were out there though that were any good this year? Like not there was a lot of names that were out there. But <sighs> I mean, I don't like for instance, and I'll just throw this out right off the top of my head when we when I think about when I said cache too. But if you could have gotten Juju Smith-Schuster instead of, of Robert Woods. I don't feel that much better about I think Juju's better than Robert Woods. I don't know if I feel that much better, though, if that was the move. I'm trying to think of a name that's kind of... you get where I'm coming from, though?
1: Alan Lazard was a free agent. DJ Shark was a free agent. Odell was. Um, See, Odell's going to try and get Adam much Thielen money.
2: was. He's over the hill. I'm thinking because Robert Woods is a little bit more on the longer in the tooth backside of his career, too. Back nine of his career. I just
1: don't think there were many good options this year. Like that—that's what makes us feel like Casario didn't do enough because there weren't many good options. Lazard was the biggest contract given to a receiver this year. Lazard got forty-four for four. Jacoby so Myers got thirty-three for three. Like that doesn't interest me. Nope. Uh, DeAndre fan. was yeah, there. Was there?
2: there uh, that. Yeah, and, and that—that's. I think that ship had sailed. You're. I'm looking for a guy that might have been a, a for the common fan a bigger catchier name but for the, the football fan that understands. It's probably Juju then. Juju's yeah, probably a that, good That's pool. the first one that came to my That's probably my mind. But I think that if you could have got a Juju uh, Smith-Schuster for the same kind of price that you got for a Robert Woods or maybe just a little more. That's the issue there because Juju got 25 for three. Woods got 15 for two. So that's what I'm saying if you could kind of meet in the middle on the money, See, I would think, Juju been a yeah. better option that people would have been more excited and said he did more if he got Juju. What do you think? I think it would have been slightly yes. I think yes. I think slightly Juju would have made a big uh, been more impactful both on the field and with the fan base.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's big cuz I I think Juju's a little overrated and apparently his knees about to explode, which is weird. Yeah. Um but I think Casario is a victim of a lack of a good free agent class at the yeah, wide receiver sure. position. That, that, that's also a possibility. Like like next year, if he doesn't get T. Higgins, Joe's gonna riot. It's true. Joe's gonna lose his lid. Fact. Joe will lose his lid if they, if T. Cash. Higgins' not a Houston Texan next year. Seven one three, seven eight zero ESPN. Do you think the Texans did enough to protect and to help CJ Stroud during the first week of the season? Seven one three, seven eight zero, three seven seven six. Game two, Astros Rangers. What do the Strows need to do to Clinch the series against Texas, and of course, the will of Bits. See what the will has in store for us. Killer bees, ESPN ninety seven five, ESPN at ninety two five. Football season is here, as we all know, and the U of H Big Twelve home opener is right around the corner. Cougs hosting last year's national championship runner-up, the TCU Horn Frogs, a week from Saturday. Saturday. The atmosphere this past Saturday when Cougars beat UTSA was electric. Let's fill up TDECU Stadium again for the Big 12 home opener Saturday, September 16th at 7 p.m. Buy a Cougar Paw package, which includes three games. You can select TCU as one of those games. Package is only $66, does not include the Texas game. Get your ticket, tickets today 713 go Cougs uhcougars.com slash tickets come early ahead of the U of H TCU game enjoy all of the new activities in Cougar Alley in front of TD ECU Stadium including the huge LED TV screen the Bud Light Backyard the Coke Fan Zone food trucks and more Spirit of Houston performing at the half cheerleaders Cougar Doll, Shasta Sasha they'll all be there and DJ Yobi Yobes in the student section buy a Cougar Paul package today three games including the TCU game that you can choose as one of your three get your tickets now 713 go cougs uhcougars.com slash tickets don't miss all the fun and pageantry of college football come early be loud and wear red
0: it's time to sit back relax and enjoy this next bit of brilliance with joel and jeremy live from the veritex community bank studios it's the killer bees
1: Fromber Valdez music there. He's on the mound tonight in uh, South Oklahoma. Fromber against Eovaldi. Nathan Eovaldi. No rehab assignment needed. He's back with band aids and bandages on his arm. And you're in the thick of a playoff race. I think you got to roll the dice. I just think
2: you know, even pitcher uh, pitcher's different than Altuve saying I don't need her Brand, you know, Brantley did, but you know, got some guys don't from a hitting perspective. Pitching, man. I'm just wondering what they expect to get out of him. Like, how far he can go if he's on a pitch count? You know, gotta be right. Yeah. And no matter how much he did, like throwing on the side and everything like that, we all know it's a different animal to go out there and, and get guys out consistently on the major league level. I hope that weighs in the Astros' favor. I do too. I
1: can't imagine he's going to throw a ton of pitches. Uh, probably better than the options that they do have though. And look, they're they're desperate. They're yep. they're trying to make the playoffs, so I can understand it. Do I think it's going to go well? I hope not. Uh Altuve, Peña, Yordan top 3, Bregman, Tucker, Abreu middle, McCormick, Dubon, Maldonado bottom. No Brantley today. Uh, Dusty said that Yordan has to keep DHing cuz his his knees are bad after he had that awkward spill in left field over the weekend. That's why he only is the designated hitter. But they didn't want to play him in left field either. But he when is he went play tomorrow, down. Did, apparently.
2: Didn't the back factor in, too? I was thinking about everything. I saw him <laughs> touch the knee, but he wasn't talking to anybody. Dubon was trying to talk to him, and he was barely speaking. I think he was embarrassed. And when I saw the replay, yeah, you because know, you know, literally, he looked like he was on ice skates. That's the way someone falls when they're on skates. Mm-hmm. But when he kind of jarred his back. I thought, oh, God, that could be, like, multiple things.
1: Yeah, I was I was terrified. Uh, see if the Astros can win tonight. Pessimistic Chad. Casario treats every pick for, from the fifth round on as if it's disposable over and over. How many players has he traded a pick for and cut before the season starts? A ton. Too many to count. 6049 says OBJ. I don't know if I like the he idea would have been of OBJ really expensive. in Houston. He was yeah, trying to yeah. cash
2: in, and he was also looking for someone that was going to make him look good because he had to show that he could still play. And I don't think he was going to put that, those eggs in the basket of a rookie quarterback. 1592.
1: Best way to help CJ the Steer is to have Davis Mills play behind this O line. Best way to help him is to have Keenum play behind this O line to at least win some games. Uh, let's go out to the HRP listener line one final time. Keith, you're in the hive of the killer beast. What's up, Keith?
3: Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Love the show. Uh, I want to talk Texans receivers and free agents. With all due respect to Noah Brown and Medchi and Xavier Hutchinson, I'd say the back three guys on that depth chart. I think there's like seven or eight names out there that I still think could give you one more
2: year. And I'll rattle off some names. Let me know what you think. T.Y. Hilton, Jarvis Landry, Julio Jones,
3: James Washington, Kenny Goddy, Brashad Perriman, Mm. probably a couple more. I think some of those guys still have some juice left in the tank. What do you think?
1: Nah, it's pointless. Like, I don't understand. I don't get the reasoning. Like, I'd rather give snaps to Tank Dell and Xavier Hutchinson than a
2: guy who might have 20 catches left in them. See, the black cloud hovers here, too. Because you're right. I mean, in any other scenario where you have your own pick and you know you're not there yet, you give your young guys every opportunity to get their feet wet and, and show what they can do and get experience. But because winning actually has more value this year now and it's more important, that's why Robert Woods is going to get all, every opportunity. That's why that Noah Brown is, is going to be a guy that's going to see balls thrown his way and he's going to get the first crack at it. So it's... I understand what what Keith is saying, but that you can't do that when you you have to win this year.
1: Those guys are also washed, man. Like those guys have proven to you that they're not very good anymore. Like they're just there's not. Like there's a reason that every single team in the NFL does not have any of those guys on their
2: roster. Like they're they're not good anymore. Talking um, about Brown and and Woods like Julio and, Jones. Oh no, all those guys. Yeah, I was thinking as he was like uh, Galladay, Galladay he, proved, he got all the money and just completely James quit Washington. on the Like none of those guys do anything. Jarvis Landry a year or two ago would have been a sexy name that people would go. Hmm, but now I don't think so.
1: Yeah, those guys. I mean Julio Ford, Jones is gone. Yeah, they're, don't they're all washed. Like I, I just have zero interest in that. All right, let's get to the Willa Bits, Joe. What do we got for the Willa Bits today? Mm. Scrambling. Mm.
0: It's the hey, weird Joe? bits on the killer bees. Kibbles and bits, kibbles and bits. I'm gonna get me some kibbles and bits. Who knows the bits the bees will begrudgingly bite? Well, let's find out. It's time for overrated, underrated, <laughs> overrated. Here's Joel and Jeremy. Why? Why
1: does he not speak well? Because
0: he's a robot. That's a great question. Like, he is a dumb robot. But how, do,
1: how does a robot? not Joe say used overrated? the voice synthesizer
4: with a dip in. Like, what is the? What That's is not Siri? My voice? Dude? What is Siri? Like, does Siri say overrated weird? I don't know. It's the one I chose, and then I just, you know.
1: Does that voice belong somewhere?
4: It's just a Google machine.
1: It's a, Is it a Google machine voice? It's not Alexa.
4: No, I just no. found it on Google. Oh, okay. All right, what do we got? Uh, I'm going to go back to this. When you look back at Dabo Sweeney's career, I think we're going to overrate him,
2: underrate him, or properly rate him. Ooh. Wow. Um, for me, I, I look at it and say he had a good run, but I'm not sure that that run was long enough. Someone tried to to surmise it by saying he just had Watson, that's it. Well, you forget Trevor Lawrence. I mean, uh, I think he had a run, but I think that overall people expected that run to continue. No matter who was that quarterback, they thought that he was building something to where he was going to be the next team to compete with Alabama every year, to be a next team that's going to be was going to be like Oklahoma was for an extended period of time, to be in the conversation every year in the Final Four. And now that he's falling short people are going to remember that more than i think the good years that he had and people are already forgetting to my point how how long that run was when he was good at when he was really good with lawrence and with watson i think he's going to be overrated
1: i think based on that answer he's going to be underrated like he's he's a two-time national champion like there's not many college coaches in the in the country in the last 40 but I, years but I think that, that have won two national expected titles. They expect to be the
2: next Saban or be just like Saban and continue to compete every year for national championships. I
1: mean, he's he's won two. He's been to yeah. four
2: playoffs
1: at Clemson, and he took over that program when they were kind of like a middling team. Like I think that Dabo Sweeney's done a fantastic job, and I know that earlier in cashmer Trash show, I, I pitched the idea that he's not suited for today's college football, which I, I do think that he's going to struggle with the transfer portal. He's been vocal against NIL, things like that, and if you're against NIL in 2023, you're going to have a tough time, I think, in the landscape that is uh, college athletics. They still won eight. They were still eight. 0 in the league last year. Like they still won the Atlantic. They still went to the Orange Bowl. Dabo Sweeney's had an unbelievable career. Dabo Sweeney's had a great career. And I think if we poo poo on Dabo Sweeney on the way out, I think they were going to look back at him and, and underrate the career that Dabo Sweeney had.
2: I, I think that people are victims of the that uh, they fall victim of the moment. But that's why he's underrated. I think victim of the moment. People are going to say that Clemson's supposed to still be there. Clemson, they see what happened last night, and that's that's going to start sticking with them to say that he should have done more. He should have been able to have more longevity. He should have been able to sustain it more. I'm not saying that he hasn't had a great career, but I'm saying that I think if we're talking about how people think, it sounds like you're arguing that it was that he's going to be looked at as underrated, though. I think he's going to be looked at as overrated because he didn't do it for as long as people expected him to. All right. Very good. That does it for us. Thanks to Joe George
1: for all the hard work. He's blank on Branham. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Houston. Late hits. Patrick Creighton next on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.